Would you stay with us and not switch over to the Olympics if we were to reveal the name of that big mystery company making news in Kansas? This is a very big deal. You know what else is a big deal? Overruling the governor and reshaping the state's entire political landscape. Our county has experienced an earthquake. It's a fair map. Lucas back in the spotlight and is another Metro mayor on the ropes. Those stories and the rest of the week's news straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, RSM, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello, I'm Nick Haynes, and thank you for joining us on our journey through the week's most impactful, confusing, and befuddling local news stories, hopping on board the Week in Review bus this week. He is Mr. Up-to-Date on KCUR-FM, Steve Kraske, the editor of the Coal newspaper, Eric Wesson, from the pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling, and tracking the Kansas State House for Cake TV in Wichita, Pilar Pedraza, who, by the way, hosts the Kansas version of this program for Wichita Public Television. Pilar, perhaps, rather than saying you're the Nick Haynes of Kansas, am I the Pilar Pedraza of Kansas City? Well, I think you've got the years on me, so I'll take that. All right. Well, thank you for that. Before <laughs> heading, if it's okay with you, Pilar, to Topeka, and then on to Jefferson City this week, we want to make a quick pit stop closer to home. Did you see Mayor Quinton Lucas back in the national spotlight? He was one of just two mayors joining Vi uh, Vice President Kamala Harris in a national conversation about child tax credits. Has there ever been a mayor in Kansas City that has gotten as much national exposure as Quinton Lucas? One week he's at the White House with the president. The next he's behind a podium talking about infrastructure with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And let's not forget, he's been on both Face the Nation and 60 Minutes in just the last few few months. I know Mayor Lucas has said he's running for re-election, but is there something bigger going on here? Is there a cabinet spot in the offing, Eric? I don't think so. Uh, I think that the issues that he is addressing are issues that are relevant and can bring some spotlight and exposure to Kansas City for maybe some federal partnerships. Uh, you forgot that he was at the bus terminal with the president several weeks ago as well. So he's uh, he's dabbling and dabbling in uh, rubbing shoulders with the rich and famous. But there are 1,600 mayors across the country, give or take, Steve Kraske. I'm sure most of them are doing an extraordinary job. Why is he getting all this limelight? Maybe because he's an extraordinarily uh, gifted politician when it comes to his rhetorical abilities, Nick. The man can flat out talk. I was thinking about this question last night, and I was thinking when he was a little boy, didn't his mother or his sister or someone used to call him the little mayor? I mean, he's been auditioning for this moment and rehearsing for it for 35 years. And uh, he's a great spokesman for a whole range of issues. And that's why the media and Vice President Harris keep going back. But this was about child tax credits with the vice president this week. What has he got to do with that, Dave? Well, not a lot, although obviously child tax credits are important in Kansas City and across the country. We don't need to get too excited about the cabinet talk, Nick, because you, you may remember this. Dick Berkeley was going to be in the cabinet of President Ronald Reagan or George H.W. Bush. And Emmanuel Cleaver famously had a big to-do about leaving the mayor's job to go to Washington to serve in the cabinet. Mid-level uh, city mayors are always uh, important for national politicians. 
Uh, but I think you're right. Generally, the mayor, Mayor Lucas, does have is getting more sort of exposure than uh, than other mayors might have, in in part because there are so many more outlets than there used to be. I should point out also this week, Eric, that the mayor was making his uh, State of the City address this week. Other than the fact that for the third time in a row he was doing it virtually, not in person, what else, if anything, did we learn from that speech this week? The city employees are going to get a raise. Uh, they, they did a good job shoveling the snow off of the streets, the potholes. Uh, the things that he ran on, I think he was just kind of giving us an update. Although those potholes are still kind of an issue, uh, depending on what part of town that you drive in. But it was he took a victory lap on the trash pickup and the city services. Dave. Quickly, the battle over police funding is now officially joined. The city's budget will be, uh, be released as we tape this program. Uh, the mayor's uh, reference to police funding came at the end of his state of the city speech. They're going to try and set this 20% threshold that we've talked about a lot and then uh, allocate additional money for other things. But the mechanism remains fuzzy, and uh, that will be the subject of intense negotiations and discussions over the weeks. Ahead. Steve. And Nick, speaking of police, the mayor announced his support for spending several hundred thousand dollars more on a program uh, called Violence Interrupters Cure Violence as a way to begin to combat the, the intense level of violence that has plagued Kansas City for so many years. We've had this program for a number of years. We walked away from it, defunded it. St. Louis has had great success, success with it, Nick, and the mayor wants to get back on board with that. That's a, an important announcement from him. In the movie Groundhog Day, Bill Murray is doomed to repeat the same day over and over again. That's how it feels right now, covering the state houses in Kansas and Missouri. For the third week in a row, Kansas lawmakers were trying to push over the finish line, the largest tax incentive in Kansas history, to lure a mystery company to the Sunflower State. We're a finalist for what would be the largest private sector investment in our state's history. This is a very big deal. Guess what? They've done it in return for more than a billion dollars in state subsidies. Kansas lawmakers saying yes to luring an unnamed advanced manufacturing company, promising <laughs> 4,000 permanent jobs. Pilar, I thought lawmakers were nervous about giving away the store to a company they didn't even know, never mind where it would be located. And I also noticed even a Democratic lawmaker from your neck of the woods in Wichita saying, for all we know, this company could be a pornographic business. So, so what changed? What changed is a lot of folks, they signed a non-disclosure agreement, they found out more about it, and honestly, they couldn't walk away from the potential benefits for Kansas, despite how much they disliked dealing with the whole mystery factor. You know, I find it interesting, though, there seems to be no secrets today anywhere in America. H how is this still a secret? I mean, are you getting lawmakers coming to you and saying, you know, uh, Pilar? I can't give you well, the name, but the uh, the company has a fruit in the logo with a bite in it. Are you getting any of those types of hints? Uh, I can honestly say I have not. You know, I have an audience I have to keep happy here, Steve. So please put us all out of our misery. Just reveal now what is the name of the company, Steve? Well, I wish I knew too, Nick. Uh, the lid has been pretty tight in Topeka. These non-disclosure agreements are not to be messed around with. Having said that, any number of leaks have come out of a capital. Uh, that Kansas is, is in competition with Oklahoma, that this could be a car battery manufacturer, maybe it's aerospace. It might be located out at the Sunflower Ammunition Plant in Johnson County, Nick. So these little 
uh, ideas keep, uh, hints keep uh, trotting out here. We don't know much for sure, though, and that only adds to the frustration of a lot of people who are watching this. You know, a lot of information in our media here, Pilar, about it. Oh, it's going to come to the Kansas City area, as uh, uh, Steve pointed out, perhaps the Sunflower Army Ammunition Plant in Western Johnson County. But if I were to pick up the Wichita newspaper, would they be saying, oh, it's coming there? Or if I'm in Topeka, would they be thinking it was coming there? Well, there's a lot of speculation. I think everybody is speculating, oh, could it be around our, our part of the, the state? Is it coming to Wichita? Because Wichita is the biggest town in Kansas. Could it go to Salina, where you've got uh, 35 and I-70 crossing? A lot of possibilities out there. Perhaps, Steve, it could go to the Mission Gateway project on Shawnee Mission Parkway <laughs> that seems to be in a hot mess now for over a decade. It's still a hot mess, Nick, and it's not big enough to go there. But, okay. Nick, having said that, there's a lot to sort of uh, wonder about here. And it is exciting, this idea of this company coming here with all these jobs. But I got to tell you, the lack of transparency here as a lifelong journalist is really troubling. You have the incentive of a lot of politicians in Topeka who are up for re-election this year who would like nothing more than to go to voters to say they landed this big fish, they've got this deal done, and uh, this thing is happening very quickly. There are hundreds of millions of dollars on the line. And I'm a little uncomfortable with with all of this and the way it's rolled out. Eric said last week, and that you made a great observation about you know what was going to happen if, all, if we give all these tax giveaways, and it would be like Cerner that comes into town on both sides of state line and then starts selling campuses, may even go out of business. How, Dave, would we know that if if we give more than a billion dollars in Kansas to this mystery company, that five years down the road, ten years uh, down the road, they don't leave or merge with another company and they won't be on the hook anymore? Well, that, of course, is one of the bigger questions, and it certainly uh, backs up what my colleague Steve Kraske talked about, which is transparency being important so that people know what's in this deal and that they're uh, assured that there's some sort of clawback mechanism or a delayed distribution of these funds. So if this company decides to move, uh, they can get this money back. I think we're all going to be embarrassed, though, when it's revealed that this is an amusement park based on the Wizard of Oz <laughs> that's going out by DeSoto, uh, and that that's the company that's actually coming to Kansas. No, I think actually that would be a great way of spending a billion dollars. That would be one of the few things that might be worthwhile, Dave. Pilar. Yeah, when you're talking about those clawbacks, that was one of the things they did. The House, many members of the House of Representatives were really concerned about. They actually changed the bill, and that's why it took a day longer to get it done than they were originally expecting. They did put some clawbacks in. So for the first 10 years, it's pretty strict. If this company does not do exactly what it says, that money comes back to the state. Next five years after that, those clawbacks start to uh, go away bit by bit. Let's head over to Missouri next, where guns are back in the spotlight. The Missouri Supreme Court hearing a challenge this week to a contentious new state law that blocks police from enforcing federal firearms laws. It's called the Second Amendment Preservation Act. You may remember it was the subject of a big 60-minute story a few months ago, the law passed in August. It also prohibits local law enforcement agencies from giving, quote, material aid and support to federal agents trying to enforce federal gun statutes. Missouri police departments violating the law are subject to $50,000 fines. So what happened? Did the justices say lawmakers are well within their rights to decide what laws they want police to enforce in their own state? Or did they say, just stop, Steve? This is blatantly unconstitutional. Well, we don't have word from the state Supreme Court yet, Nick, but it's going to be fascinating to see what they come up with here. I had Governor Mike Carson on up to date this week, and he talked very openly about the idea that the Second Amendment Preservation Act that you're talking about here 
that blocks local law enforcement from implementing federal gun laws. It really is a highly unusual law. The governor himself continues to be open to rejiggering this law going forward. So no matter what the state Supreme Court does, the legislature may still weigh in here this session, Nick, and make some revisions. Eric, just because there's a fine, you know, if, if you have a, a local police department uh, cooperating with, say, the ATA, you, you could be fined $50,000. Just because there is the threat of a fine, has any local law enforcement department been fined over this? Now, that I'm not sure, but I think the threat of it in the state of Missouri uh, has had a lot of them saying, hey, hands off. Uh, if they see a convicted felon with a firearm and they pull them over, they let them go. And I think it's been some issues with that as well. But aren't we already seeing local law enforcement agencies, Dave, picking and choosing which laws they want to follow now? When you consider, for instance, I know marijuana, for instance, is still a federally prohibited substance. And yet locally we have police departments and prosecutors refusing to go after people with marijuana offenses, ignoring that law. And similarly with immigration, saying, no, we're not going to cooperate in our local police department with immigration. Is that the same or different? You know, they're all part of the same trend, Nick, which is that uh, lawmakers and uh, people who execute the laws often uh, use wide discretion to determine what is enforced and what isn't. But I think the big story here with the Second Amendment Preservation Act is that the big opponents tend to be police departments, sheriff's departments, and others who say, look, we really need the help of the federal government on some of these issues. And this has a chilling effect on our decision making. We just don't want to go there because we don't want to risk a fine. We don't want to risk prosecution. And I think that's what the court is going to grapple with. And we expect a decision later this year. As many <laughs> Americans are fixated on watching the Winter Olympics in Beijing, China has become the surprising new wedge issue in Missouri's U U.S. Senate race. Forget mask mandates and vaccine passports. Even critical race theory has taken a backseat in a series of new campaign ads. Eric Gregness can't be trusted to be tough on communist China. Just listen to his own words when appearing on Chinese propaganda television. It's amazing to see the transformation that's, that's taken place here. Our very first trade mission is also to China. Eric Greitens, good for China, bad for Missouri. How did China get so powerful? Friends like Eric Schmidt. Schmidt sponsored a bill to spend 480 million of your tax dollars to create a cargo hub here for airlines owned by China's Communist Party. And Schmidt voted to let China buy up Missouri farmland. Eric Schmidt, good for China, bad for Missouri. Dave Helling, I remember when you used to be over at KCTV5, you were known for your Truth Watch reports looking at these commercials. Would this be slapped with a truthful label or a false label? Well, first we'd say it's irrelevant. I don't think the voters <laughs> okay. are clamoring to know what's going on between uh, the candidates and China. But, but, but Eric, you know, these campaigns today are very sophisticated. They do focus groups and so on. They wouldn't be running these ads if they didn't think it was going to resonate with members of the public, would they? No, they, uh, they know that if they uh, splatter a enough uh, arrows against the wall, somebody will catch on to it and they'll tell somebody and they'll tell somebody. Can we expect the same tactics to be used in Kansas, Pilar? Might we see ads saying Laura Kelly, good for China, bad for Kansas? If uh, it comes out that there is a statement on Chinese television like that with Laura Kelly, which I don't think is possible, I don't, at least not while she's been in governor, I don't believe she's been to China. China. It may have been but some of the masks that she bought. Yes. Just for the record, I think this is just utter silliness, all this China stuff. This is just fear-mongering, try to create a wedge issue between candidates here. And if I was a voter, Nick, I wouldn't pay a whole lot of money. Could, could, just quickly, Nick, 
Eric Greitens going after Schmidt and Schmidt going after Greitens is an interesting dynamic in that race because I think it indicates that those two candidates feel they're competing for the same voters. That allows someone like a Vicki Hartzler to come in maybe and prevail in that primary. If at first you don't succeed, try, try, and try again. The motion prevails and the bill passes. It took more than one attempt, but Kansas lawmakers make a splash this week. They overrule Governor Kelly and reshape the political map of Kansas. The city of Lawrence moves into the same congressional district as Western Kansas. And Wyandotte County gets cut in half. Democrats say the GOP-drawn map aims to squeeze Congresswoman Cherise Stevens out of office. Our county has experienced an earthquake, a fault line. A seismic shift has torn us apart. It does not contrary to some accusations, dilute the minority to vote. It's a fair map. So what happens now? Is this the map or is this just the start of a protracted battle in the courts, Pilar? Uh, I think it's the start of a battle in the courts. Uh, there have been enough promises that if this map was approved, that it would be challenged in the courts. I fully expect we'll see that probably within a week or so. And this is happening all across the country, of course. We see even in places like Maryland and New York and, and in Illinois. Uh, where Democrats control the legislature, lawsuits are being filed because they're squeezing out Republicans in those districts. But Dave, if I'm a, mem a member of the public and I'm either happy or sad about this latest uh, map being drawn, if it's heading to the courts, do I have any say whatsoever? Do I have any role to play in this? Well, not now. You had a role earlier in the year and late last year. They took testimony, which they more or less ignored in the Kansas side in drawing the maps that they ended up drawing. But uh, no, if the courts make the decision, that's it. And let me just say quickly, Nick, I think the biggest concern in Kansas was not necessarily Wyandotte County being split, although people were mad about that, but putting Lawrence, Kansas <laughs> in the big first district, which stretches all the way to the Colorado border, really upset uh, people in Lawrence and really upset some people in the first district as well. That's also problematic. We'll see what the courts say if a lawsuit is filed. Uh, and by the way, Eric, you called it last week when you, we were talking about the Missouri side on this. And, you know, would, would Emmanuel Cleaver's seat be safe? You said it's going to be a wild ride. We really don't know what will happen in Jefferson City. And this week there's a proposal to cut his district in half, you know, so it would be two Republican districts. Um, but did that happen or is he still safe? Should he be worried this week? Well, he probably can probably get the same amount of sleep, but it is just something that he'll have to observe. You might have noticed there's been lots of change in local leadership lately in just the last three months. Wyandotte County and Overland Park have new mayors. The head of Johnson County government, Ed Eilert, is calling it quits. And could it be the end of the line for the mayor of Independence, Eileen Weir? This week, voters in Missouri's fifth largest city went to the polls, and guess what? Longtime Mayor Weir barely made it through a crowded primary. In fact, a little more than 100 votes saved her from being ousted by voters. The mayor came in second to Missouri state lawmaker Rory Rowland. That means she gets to fight another day. She'll face off against Roland in the April general election. But five people running against the mayor this week in Independence, they all said the city is desperately in need of change. What are they so unhappy about, Steve? They have a lot of things to be concerned about. When you have the FBI snooping around, looking at city contracts, that's an issue. The timing of the story this week about police overtime, officers over $100,000 in overtime, that 
probably falls at the hands of the city manager in independence as opposed to the mayor, Nick. But nonetheless, it makes it look like things are a little bit out of control in independence. And it's that kind of thing that voters are reacting to. Yeah, what uh, Steve's talking about there, there was one independence police officer earned more than $263,000 last year, making him the highest paid city employee. That's a lot of overtime, Eric. Yeah, that's a lot of overtime. That's a lot of overtime and sick time. Uh, and I think they'll do something quickly to change whatever loophole that is that uh, allowed that person to make that much money. And by the way, he wasn't doing it, you know, he wasn't patrolling, he wasn't police work, he was doing carpentry and painting work, apparently, uh, fixing up the jail. But Dave, when we, so we love stories like this in the media, of course, that show one individual, oh, they're making outrageous amounts of money. But in the grand scheme of things, isn't there a lot more waste happening in our local governments on both sides of state line than that? Maybe, but there is a lot going on in independence. Alleged corruption and FBI investigations and overtime. All of that piles up and a lot of it has accrued to Eileen Weir. And that makes her uh, a long shot, I think, in April. Some good news this week. COVID cases are way down in our metro, but that doesn't mean we've heard the last about this virus or the political battles over virus control measures. In fact, in Kansas this week, lawmakers began debating a bill that will for the first time provide a no questions asked vaccine exemption in public schools and childcare centers. And Pilar, just to clarify, this is not just giving parents the right to say no to giving their children a COVID vaccination in order to attend school. This is any vaccination, whether it be measles, mumps, tetanus, chickenpox. It is across the board. It involves all childhood immunizations. Um, I have heard from many parents, school leaders, doctors who are very upset that this bill is even moving forward at all. In fact, it did not originally make any leeway at all until Senator Mark Steffen withheld his vote on the redistricting veto overturn. So get, get, uh, change your vote on redistricting and you get the vaccine issue. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, some very old-fashioned horse dealing went on. Steve, a former colleague of you uh, of yours, Brad Cooper, who's now the editor of the Sunflower State Journal, says the bills that get the most media attention are the bills most likely to end up in a shredder at the end of the session. So if that's the case, what are the prospects of this bill going all the way through the legislature and becoming law? Well, the governor certainly wouldn't look kindly on this, Nick, but they are fast-tracking this thing. It's worth keeping an eye on going forward. I love your reaction, though, uh, Pilar. You, you seem a strong no on that. I don't see it going anywhere. I don't know that it would have the votes to pass the Senate, and I definitely don't see it passing the House. You know, there is a bridge in Kansas City that has become so famous, it has its own T-shirt. Undefeated, it's called. That's not the name of the bridge, but it's claim to fame. It has sheared the top off of dozens of trucks with another big wreck this week under the Independence Avenue Bridge and lots of money now available for infrastructure projects. Mayor Quinton Lucas now says enough is enough. Kansas City needs to fix this problem. But what's the plan? Remove it, raise it, or find another route, Eric, for big trucks to reach their final destination? You know, one of the truck drivers I talked to said that they might need to dip or lower the street because I believe a train... Uh, yeah, it's a railroad bridge. Yeah. Of it, so 
they can't do anything top-wise to it. So he was telling me that what they need to do is lower the street, and then truck drivers need to pay attention to the sign. But Steve, isn't there been never been a better time though if you're if you're living in Leewood or Lee Summit and you have a concern about some aspect of infrastructure in your neighborhood to be calling, picking up the phone and calling your local city hall? They've got money to fix these things now. That's a very good point, Nick. And to your point, Mayor Lucas is looking at this. He's aware of the situation. The city's looking at a whole series of options here. Hopefully something's going to happen. You know, when you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every story grabbing the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? It's been a while since there were protests on the streets of Kansas City. This week, demonstrators returned to the plaza to protest possible war over Ukraine. So the chip crisis isn't over after all. The truck side of Ford's Kansas City assembly plant shutting down amid lingering microchip shortages. After a public outcry, the mayor of Wyandotte County returning that $85,000 luxury SUV bought with county money. Is it racism in the NFL or something else? The Chiefs' Eric Bieniemy in the spotlight after being passed over again for a head coaching job, this time with the Saints. It was his 15th head coach interview in four years. Kansas City hiring its first black health director, Dr. Marvia Jones, succeeds Rex Archer. She starts Monday. And if you've never been to the Negro League's baseball museum before, there may never be a better time to go. Admission is now free. In honor of Black History Month, the Kansas City Royals say they will cover the cost of every admission through the end of the month. Already, Eric Wesson, did you pick one of those stories or something completely different? I picked one of those stories, Dr. Marvia Jones, of course, being the new director of the health department. Steve. I picked something different, Nick. Uh, we had the news this week that Reed, the furniture store in the country club plaza, is closing. Michael Coors has closed in recent months. Victoria's Secret, Kate Spade, Bridgeton Collectibles. It strikes me that with more than two dozen uh, uh, open spaces right now on the plaza, that something's amiss down there. I think it's worth Kansas City to keep an eye on our country club plaza, which continues to be the jewel of, of the city. Pilar. Well, there are several bills involving elections working their way through the state house right now. One in particular is concerning local county leaders and election officials, and that one would require any mail-in ballot to be returned via the U.S. Post Office. But they're concerned that an unintended side effect would have this bill basically banning the use of those drop boxes that we saw popping up outside of election offices around the state last year. Dave. First, we have my cat wanting to be on television again. <laughs> uh, uh, second, uh, I do think one of the stories we'll need to pay attention to is the minority hiring practices in the National Football League. If the case that's been filed goes to trial and discovery is allowed, we're going to see evidence about football teams that will be very, very ugly, I believe. And that's something we need to pay attention to. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Our thanks to Eric Wesson, always on call at the Kansas City Call. From your Kansas City star, Dave Helling, with his cat buttons. From the heart of Kansas, Cake TV's Pilar Pedraza. And keeping you up to date weekday mornings at 9 on KCUR-FM, Steve Kraske. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.